Right, everyone, welcome to Safety Last. Today we have a friend of mine from university. I feel like I'm just bringing all my university friends onto this podcast. Uh, Jacob, how are you? Introduce I'm good, yourself. thanks. Hi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, well, tell me a bit about like your teaching career. Like, Well, actually, before we do that, we met in uh, a few years ago in university and we did the same teaching course did we become friends in the first year or second year or third year like oh, i i actually remember this quite well it was in the second semester of the first year okay if it's embarrassing you can't say anything okay no if way, it's, no if it's an embarrassing don't worry, don't worry. story <laughs> <laughs> don't worry i'll save you there no uh yeah it was it was uh we, we were on in a group project actually we were in a group project yeah, I distinctly remember, and we were sitting doing our our, our group work in um the courtyard of of the uh, Sydney Uni next to foot, uh, Footbridge, and um yeah, that, that I remember that that was how I met you. Mm. Actually, now you bring that up, I do remember we had an American girl yeah. in our group, and also I'm not sure if you remember this. We had like a lot of fun. I'm not sure if we were first years and we we're like young and naive. But we had a lot of fun making the group project. And I remember we like put in like a 15 second dance clip at the end of our presentation, which I don't know where the PowerPoint went, but we put like, do you remember this for the credit scene? Like we both, every one of us did like a dance. And then at the end, the tutor or the the marker was like, wow, I can't believe you've had so much fun. <laughs> As if they were implying that you should not have fun at university. <laughs> I actually forgot, completely forgot about that dance part. I wish we had that video. That's so funny. I know. Uh, I've, yeah. I've actually tried to look for it, but, uh, you know, that's like seven, eight, yeah, however long ago. It was ages ago. So yeah. I haven't been able to find it, but uh, I do remember that. And I do remember the tutor thinking like, we're crazy. Like, what, how are you having so much fun at university? <laughs> but that's probably just a first year thing. Yeah. Um, so Jacob, I grabbed you because you are a fellow teacher like me and... You know, actually, apart from that, there's another reason I grabbed you, which was I felt like out of all my friends, out of everyone who is a teacher, you probably exhibit and maybe maybe I'm incorrect in my judgment, but it seems like you love the profession more than most teachers. And you seem to be someone who's like thriving. Every time I talk to you about this profession, you seem to be very positive and it seems like you're moving forward in your career. So I guess that already shows my bias, which is I also love this profession and I get so much joy from it. And I really like being a teacher and teaching. So in a way, I guess I am kind of biased because I am bringing you as a representative on to talk about teachers. And you clearly, in my eyes anyway, have a more positive outlook on this profession than most teachers I know. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. You're probably right because <laughs> I, I, I was quite lucky in, in a lot of ways. Um, I, and um, the way that I sort of came to the profession is that um, when I was 18 years old, I um, I thought a lot, probably probably far too much. I, I, I thought about what career I would have. I think a lot of people, um, they, they think about what they want to do and they, they do a lot of trial and error. And, you know, that's that's good. Uh, but um, And you never really know until you try it. But um, it, it takes a long time and a lot of like resources to, to try different professions, you know, to, to get into a profession um, is, is, you know, it takes a lot of investment, you know, it takes like time, effort, uh, hex debt and all that sort of stuff. 
Um, but yes, I, I think I was quite lucky that I, um, you know, <laughs> did so much uh, thinking in year, in year 12 because uh, I eventually came to pretty much the, the perfect result. Mm. And um, I'm not sure if you know our other friend, David, but there were a few people, there were actually like two people who I felt like I could bring on to do this podcast. And I spoke to David and he's like, uh, I really love teaching, but I'm probably not so proficient behind the microphone. And my immediate mindset was like, okay, that's totally cool. Jacob is also someone who, you know, seems to be thriving in this situation. So that's why I grabbed you. And also um, I, I struggled to shut up as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, that's something that we both share. We have like a million opinions and we feel like we should share our opinions, which is basically why I started the podcast because I'm like, you know, for six hours a day, I basically talk about my opinion and I feel like that's not enough. So let's do it after hours as well. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> um, so there's one more thing I want to say before we jump into uh, questions about the profession, like, you know, why did you do it? You know, what do you think are the positives and negatives of this profession? Do you recommend it? Some traits you think are important in this profession? Uh, there's two things I want to say. The first thing is... Georgia, my friend and mm -hmm. I, and this is just the back, some background information just to talk about who you are as a person. Uh, Georgia, my friend and I once had this game. Do you know the game? Like, where are they now? Do you know the game show? Yeah. So basically the premise is you have someone who is usually a celebrity or someone of note, and then you track where they went or where they ended up 20, 30, 40 years later. So Georgia and I were playing this game and we'll, from university, we said, okay, there's two people that we'll pick. Uh, one person, because their life is in such disarray that we can't actually turn off the TV. If there was a segment for like, where are they now? So just like a complete car crash and we just can't turn it off. And the other person was, who would you choose to watch an episode on if their life was thriving? Like, who do you think would be the most likely to thrive and to be in a really happy and positive situation? And believe it or not, both Georgia and I both picked you for the thriving episode. Wow. So I really don't think that, you know, I'm not really sure that's something you could put on your resume, but I just want you to know that. <laughs> I'll put it there anyway. <laughs> that's really nice. Um, so about teaching. Okay. So, Really, I've thought about doing this podcast because, like I said, I just love the teaching profession, but also because this is the time in the year where a lot of year 12s start thinking about going to university and some have already picked their uh, university choices and some have already picked their professions. But I actually got a few emails from people just asking, like, what do you think about being a teacher? Like, do you think it's a good profession? Like, what are the struggles? What are the positives? So I guess to answer these questions... Um, I just want to throw this question to you, which is why did you become a teacher? And also, what are some positives about this profession? Awesome. Okay. So the reason I became a teacher is because um, when I was uh, 18, I couldn't decide between like engineering and psychology and social work. And a friend at the time said, why don't you try, have you looked into teaching? I was like, not really. Um, and I thought, oh, yeah, I suppose it is a combination of all of them, you know, because um, I, I like my maths and science and that. Um, so, yeah, um, but the, the real reason 
why I didn't want to do engineering. And I, I, well, I did want to do engineering, right? My, like my dad still says, you know, you'd, you'd make a great engineer, Jacob. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was because it, it, with a teacher, even though you don't always see it, every extra bit of effort that you put in is going to benefit someone in some way. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, you know, if you teach your, you know, year nine boys to be kind, uh, or just a little bit kinder then all the people in their life are going to benefit in the long run, you know, like their, even their future children are going to benefit, you know, just because of the guidance and the mentorship that their teacher is able to give. So, um, I think that really drew me towards teaching and it's probably not the most enjoyable aspect of it because it's really hard work, uh, to do that and to, and to put that effort in, but um, in the long run, I know, like I can get home at the end of each day and feel satisfied that what I've done is, is actually going to benefit other people. And, uh, even though it doesn't always feel like it, you know, when you're struggling at the, with classroom management at the end of the term, you know, year nine, just going nuts or, you know, like you're trying to run an experiment in the lab and, you know, it's just all falling to pieces, mm. but, um, yeah, it's basically you can't really go wrong with teaching if you're if you're genuinely putting in the effort. Uh, at some point along the line, you know, maybe it's the the younger sister who benefits, or maybe it's the future partner who benefits. You know, but there there's someone who's going to benefit from the effort that their teacher has put in. Mm, I absolutely agree. And to be a bit of a philosophy nerd for a second, I'll only touch upon this really briefly. There was this. Um, philosopher or I guess the writer called Theodore Adorno who believed that in today's economy that a lot of work is very disconnected so for example if you polish like a um, a bed frame or you paint only a certain small part of like a bigger item like you only package or you only wrap the boxes or you only do a certain section of a bigger thing there isn't this sense of satisfaction that jobs previously did. Like basically the idea is that you don't see the fruits of your results in today's economy. Like you're the yeah. accountant that presses send, but you don't really uh, build a relationship with your clients because you're one cog in a much bigger system. And I think there is some truth in that. And for me, when I picked my profession, similar to you, I thought about being an engineer. I thought about being a psychiatrist and teaching and an author and stuff like that. And I felt like teaching just encapsulated all of these. And my biggest goal was to have fun, but obviously, um, you know, earn some money as well. But apart from that, it was to pick a profession that wouldn't give me an existential crisis, a midlife crisis at 50. And Absolutely. I just thought that teaching is, as you said, is a profession that you can actually see the results. You can see your hard work face-to-face -face every single day and that yeah. gives me a sense of satisfaction that i just can't really see with other professions i i agree with that completely and then also i still believe that's even just the tip of the iceberg as well because if you if you teach that person to become you know better or cleverer or um, kinder then not only are you seeing that in their personality changing over the, over the course of the year or as they grow up through year seven to year 12 but you also you, you might forget about it as a teacher, but you, you know that they're, they're going to be influencing other people around them in their life positively, like even after high school. So that's, that's the beauty of it. Like it's, you, you know, and it's hard to remember 
um, <laughs> when you when you're tired in the middle of the term. But yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely one of those professions where you you know you, you can't really go wrong as far as like you the amount of positive difference you're making to society because. Mm. You know, the, the best best way to change the world is to um, get an education degree and use it as wisely as you can. Mm, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And it's also interesting that none of us have actually brought up our subjects very much. Like we've been talking about teaching as an abstract thing yeah. or rather as something where it's really about like teaching values. Like I don't really think I've heard you talk about, you know, mathematics or science really at all actually during this podcast. Mm. And I think that's true. Like we use, you know, I'm an English history teacher and, you know, obviously you're in a completely different field, but. And it's really funny. You often forget about that one too. I always forget, <laughs> by the way, I always forget I because you look, you dress like an English teacher. So I automatically like just think you're an English teacher. And I like throughout the years, I always come to you for like English help and you're like, uh, I'm math. And I'm like, oh damn, <laughs> I forgot it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's interesting is we haven't really spoken about, you know, the importance of like English and the importance of science. It seems like both of us fundamentally see teaching as a way to hopefully make better people. And if they learn the metaphor, if they learn algebra as they grow up, that's a bonus. But real to me, and I want to get your opinion, to me, the key issue is about can I teach someone values, uh, things like joy and enthusiasm and courage in my lessons. Mm, mm, absolutely. It's, it's, it's kind of like the core of teaching is really about, uh, thinking not, and, and you know, each subject has certain ways of thinking. Um, and so we, we specialize in, you know, uh, teaching those, those thinking styles, but, um, you know, and it's like, it takes a whole village to raise a child. So it, it, it takes a whole school to teach a child, you know, uh, if you went through the school and only, only learned English, you'd be incomplete. And it's the same with your maths or your science, you know, you, mm -hmm. you need that balance. Um, so yeah, the subjects definitely play a role and it's, it's good that we, you know, all, all the different, uh, teachers, you know, that, that we've got this, this mixture of, of, uh, fields of expertise and the, the kids, they benefit from that, that variety. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, the the core of teaching is is really about uh, mentorship and um yeah and and that's one of the the things that, that there's two things that i really enjoy sorry i'm probably anticipating your next question i think you told me <laughs> um uh, yesterday um but uh yeah the the two things i enjoyed most about teaching is the mentorship mm. and the creativity that you know we're, we're actually uh not not only are we better at our job if we're doing our job creatively and designing, you know, good quality lessons all the time, but, uh, it's more fun as well. It's so fun to, it's, it's the best part of the job, I think, in terms of enjoyment, um, uh, just, you know, inventing new stuff, even, and, and it sounds like to someone who's not a teacher, it, it might sound really like dry and boring to like design an assessment. But to me, because like I have so many choices, I have, I have so many, you, you can, you can ask so many different questions, you know, you have control over, the, the way that you provoke their thinking and the way that you uh, encourage, I mean, you, you also set what, what is valued. You, you say, you know, this thinking style is, is of value. Um, and, and by doing so, you, you, you kind of 
set the direction for the class and you, you lead these, these young people through um, this course of, of hoops and, and jumps to, you know, get, get to this place. And um, it's, it's really, it's very rewarding experience to design something and then teach what you've designed and then see your students succeed because of it. Um, you know, and, and there's specific little examples as well. Like there's this, uh, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to build a tiny electric motor yourself, but it's Never. good fun. It's really good fun. Um, it, but it's frustrating sometimes as well, because sometimes like the, the copper metal, like, uh, doesn't conduct the way you want it to. If like it gets a bit corroded, um, due to the sparks. Right. So you gotta have some sandpaper. And so you gotta, it's, it's really like fun and crafty sort of, um, sensation right and there's this assessment that i do uh, with my 12s and uh they they not only have to build the electric motor but they have this uh really weird contraption to, to measure how strong it is and to like see how the the strength that it can tug on this uh string um and you know you teach them the equations you teach them uh, you know, all of the, the theory as well, which supports them to actually do the experiment and test the strength. Um, you know, it's, it's no use just having a motor if you don't know how strong it is, you know? Mm. So, um, but, uh, so, so there's, there's that fun element, but then the part that I enjoy most is actually really, uh, nerdy and geeky from a teacher's perspective in that, uh, I, obviously it's a big project. It takes hours. Um, and that's why it's a depth study. So there's 15 hours of the, of the curriculum has to be depth study in, in the new curriculum since 2019, um, for the sciences. And so we, we do a lot of it in class and we have all this stuff set up. The lab is a mess with all of these equipment. Um, but the kids love it because at the end of their project, they've all selected a different, like independent variable. Um, so one of them's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to see how the area of the coil makes a, a change in the strength. Um, of the motor and other kids are doing uh, like the angle um, between the, the field and the, and the coil. So, that, you know, it's all different and the kids, they, they get a sense of direction like and, and autonomy mm. um, and that's cool. But then also like uh, they, they, I, I, this year um, I, for, for this, this assessment, I got them to submit a draft and it was like mandatory. You must submit the draft, right? Um, and then I marked it and they, they all got often like, in, you know, 50, 60% things like that. And then on one week later, they did their final submission. Um, and I get, you know, uh, when they did their draft, I gave them really good feedback and stuff, um, on, on like a, a rubric that was like highlighted and annotated and everything. And then they made huge improvements. Some kids made improvements of like 46%. And that, mm. that was like a really proud moment. Cause I was like, oh. They, they, they took the feedback, they took initiatives, they, they worked hard and they, they got the rewards. So mm. that was really, really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And something that I'm sure that you agree with, uh, for me, I just didn't want a job where I sat in front of a computer all day and I just pressed buttons, which is what I said before about the existential crisis thing. And yeah. being a teacher, it's like problem solving. I walk into a classroom and I go, okay, this person really doesn't like x y and z this student is really good at speaking this student is very physically active but doesn't like you know this and yeah. you have to teach in a way where you try to bring each student's strengths out whilst still touching on a curriculum so to me i see it as problem solving and Absolutely. even if i teach the same content or the same lesson to the set to different classes 
the way I teach has to inherently be different because I'm working with different pieces. And to me, that's really fun. Like I see that as just like problem solving ability 101. And when you mix it with people and, you know, surprise, surprise, I'm an extrovert. So I just find that, (laughs) I just find that so enjoyable. Yeah, and it, it, it keeps it moving as well. Like, it, it's always changing. And so it doesn't get boring, you know. People say, like, oh, don't you get bored of teaching the same uh, content all the time? And it's like, yeah, but different personalities walk in the door every every year, every mm-hmm. every term even. Like, you know, kids' mm-hmm. personalities, uh, even the same kids' personality changes. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's always fresh. And, like, uh, I'm, a, I'm teaching at an all-boys school, and, you know, teenage boys, they're funny. Like they, 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 the things that they say, um, you know, I probably shouldn't really repeat, but <laughs> sometimes, but they're hilarious. Um, and you know, I have to try and stop myself from laughing <laughs> during the lesson, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I really like the, um, the, the problem solving aspect as well. You know, like I, I still feel like an engineer, even though I'm not doing engineering, you know, instead mm. of electrical engineering, I'm doing classroom engineering. Um, you know because you're inventing you're still inventing as long as you're designing and you're inventing you are kind of thinking in the same style as an engineer mm. um you know but it's just instead of efficiency of of, of a, a computer program you know you're looking at efficiency of how can i get the most out of these kids with the same teacher effort um you know stuff like that it's really cool mm. absolutely so there's another interesting thing that i want to bring up and i'd love to get your opinion so things I've heard before, or really this is just the conclusion that I've come to as someone who's been in the teaching profession for a few years, and that is I feel like you should not get into teaching if you love the subject, but you don't enjoy the communication aspect or building that sense of mentorship. And I bring that word up because that's something that you said previously, and I agree with that Personally, obviously, it's my opinion, so I agree with that completely, and I'd love to get your your thoughts on it. But I often I often see like a lot of people who are really good at the subject, whether it's English, history, whatever it is, but they don't have that enthusiasm to spread the knowledge. And I think that's actually more key than knowledge of the discipline, knowledge of the subject. And I bring this example up, and I'll throw it to you afterwards. Uh, then this stereotype is probably not fair. So I'm just going to put it out there. This is probably not a fair stereotype, but I've heard it multiple times and maybe I could use this as a launching point. But a lot of times you hear like, you know, music teachers are failed musicians. That's what I've heard. I'm not sure if you've heard that multiple times, but I, you know, that's probably not fair. But part of that criticism is that they have a love for the subject, but it's not, doesn't really translate to a love for communication or building that rapport. And I think, you know, even outside the music profession uh, or the music subject, I think it's really important to obviously love your subject. And I think that's something I'm just so lucky. I love English and I love history. And I would speak about it for free, uh, you know, you know, regardless. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's also a desire or a want to communicate and to want to build rapport. So what do you think about that? I think, I think two things. Um, so I think... Uh, if you if you um are no good at mentorship or like if you're if you're socially awkward uh, but you enjoy you know looking after kids anyway then the truth is after a couple of years you'll work hard at it and you'll get better and better at 
uh, looking after the kids, uh, you know, emotionally and, and mentoring them or, 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 you know, you'll get better at classroom management and stuff like that. So for me, like, because I enjoy teaching and I enjoy the social element, um, you know, I, I was really bad at classroom management because I, I wasn't strict enough <laughs> at the beginning. Um, it was causing problems. Uh, but then I got stricter because I, I worked hard at it because I enjoyed it. You know, mm. so if you enjoy it uh, and you enjoy that that uh, social element to teaching, and you know the fact that you can really make a difference in kids' lives, then you'll work at it, all of the the skills as you go along, mm. because you're passionate um, about the profession, right? Um, so that I, I reckon uh, that that's you know uh, that's not an issue. But if you if you don't even enjoy the social element and you don't enjoy just like educating. You know, if you don't enjoy like just educating young people, then you know you're you're in the wrong place. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing is, right? Like you said with the music teachers, um, you know, you, there's this criticism that they're failed failed musicians, right? We are actually one of the few professions where it's actually better not to be an expert, um, and this is why. It's because mm, if great you point. If you're an expert, you've spent your time, your effort, and your energy training to do only one or two skills and do them really, really well, right? But the opportunity cost of that is that you have not had the opportunity to um, spend that time, effort, and energy on on developing the connections between skills or, or developing or integrating smaller micro skills. And and teaching is, is a strange profession like that because a lot of professions you just – you know, you have four or five key major skills and you, they're really difficult. Um, and one by one, you have to learn them over the sort of first few years of the profession. And then you set, you know, and you're okay. You can keep going. Um, but yeah. teaching has a lot of really easy skills, but it's got thousands of them and you have to integrate them like little pieces of a puzzle. But then like, you know, a couple of years into the puzzle, you someone throws you about, you know, 20 new pieces and says, uh, you know, throw out those uh, 20 old pieces. You have to now reintegrate these new puzzle pieces. Um, and so, you know, fitting them all together, that's what's the challenge. Um, so you can't do that unless you are a jack of all trades. That's a great point. Um, yeah. And I think not being an expert also helps you communicate with students who by definition, are not experts because they're, you know, yeah. they're young. Like you, under, you understand the struggle, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. If, if you don't understand the struggle, like there was this uh, maths lecturer I had once, um, and he was Russian at, at university, like a third-year level math subject, really complicated. And he, at the very beginning, uh, there was this, uh, in the first week, there was this student who put up their hand in the lecture theatre and asked, like, um, so would you mind helping us, like, identify what was the really... Uh, challenging content that we're going to cover and what week it's going to be in because I really want to focus on it. And then the lecturer in, in a, a Russian accent that I won't imitate <laughs> because I'd be so unsuccessful. Um, he said, I've forgotten uh, which content is easy and which content is hard because mm-hmm. I've been doing this for 40 years and for me, everything is easy because he's an expert, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he should be an expert because that's his field. But um, it meant that he forgot the struggle that his students were going through. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, um, and uh, just actually a piece of advice on that to any upcoming teachers. Um, This is something that I advise. If a student ever asks you a question, which you don't know, don't pretend to be an expert and mm. don't 
say something completely wrong because if it is completely wrong, you actually mislead them. And secondly, talking about what you're saying about don't be an expert um, or you don't need to be an expert, I think there's a certain humility in admitting that you don't know and you are potentially just as confused as a student and that you are also working to improve yourself as well, that you walk the same path. And I think to me, that's something which uh, I guess I've been lucky to do since the beginning of my teaching career. And I found it to be quite an effective way to humanize yourself. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And and there's two reasons why. Um, because like, uh, and I'm sure it's the same in a lot of subjects, but certainly in science, like uh, all scientists, uh, they, they start every experiment by admitting that they they don't have certainty. Um, when they when they put a hypothesis, they're, they're saying, look, I think this is going to be true, but I don't know for sure. And the whole reason I'm doing this experiment is to get more information. And so that right there is saying, like, look, even even the experts are saying there's stuff we don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's they, they make their living out of the fact that they're happy to declare that they are looking for more information. You know, so having a lack of knowledge is not a wrong thing. Um, but, you know, having the skills to search for it or having even even like a lot of lecturers uh, at uni, they they would start a project and then realize, oh, damn, actually, I, I need a bit of statistics understanding here that I don't have yet um, that I'm going to need to learn first before I can actually finish this, finish this experiment that I'm halfway through, you know. Um, and so then they consult their colleagues in the math department and be like, Hey, can you like help me out here? Cause I really like to finish this research. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's quite a normal thing. Um, well, let, let me ask something else. Um, uh, so I think we are both somewhat similar in terms of personality. Like we're both extroverted. We both like speaking to people. We both have a strong love of our subject. And I think we're both very curious. Maybe I'm being too self-complimentary, but I feel like we somewhat share these values. Now, my question is, obviously not everyone will be like this. And some people might have, well, some people will definitely have different traits, um, you know, other traits, worse traits, you know, just different traits in general. So to the people who are listening, who are thinking, you know, I'm actually not like, you know, this person, I might be more introverted, or maybe I love the subject more, or I don't like the subject as much. What do you think are some key traits for anyone to step into this field that would mm. make them successful and make them enjoyable? Because remember, some some students who are just graduating high school might listen and go like, okay, what do I have? Do I have what it takes to become a good teacher? Mm. I think patience is, is going to be one of them. Um, you know, because... Uh, well, patience comes in many forms, you know, like there's patience with solving a maths problem, there's patience with, you know, um, <laughs> sitting through a staff meeting, um, but there's also like, oh my lord, <laughs> you know, uh, other types like um, you, you've, if you've got a kid who's who's like really uh, maybe maybe stubborn or something um, and can be a challenge to deal with, but they, they have their own problems and they need support. Um, and you know the the whole reason that their their behaviour is so challenging is because they actually uh, are yearning for that support from a, from an adult. Is um, you, the best thing you can do is listen to them, but that's the hardest thing to do as well as your as the teacher. Um, so to have the patience to actually listen to the kid properly, um, even when they're frustrating you, is really really important. And um, so, and that's one of the challenging but most valuable parts of being teacher um because yeah it's gonna it's gonna benefit the student the most 
Um, so yeah, I'd say patience for sure. I agree with that. Um, I just want to throw this in. You don't actually have to be extroverted to do this profession well. It potentially might help because you're constantly interacting with people. And if you actually draw attention, no, not attention. If you draw energy from social interactions, that I can see that being a positive. But one of the best teachers that I've ever worked with, she was an introvert, but she was just on top of her game, on top of her craft. She cared about the students and she was just absolutely fantastic. So I guess I just want to dispel that myth. I can see it helping if you're extroverted, but I don't think it's a requirement by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and being introverted often means that you are naturally quite reflective. Um, And doing that regular reflection means that you're going to think uh, quite often and quite deeply about the quality of your work. And that's going to improve it in the long run. Um, there's some, I want to move on to subjects, uh, just to talk about the subjects for, for a bit. So as I said previously, I'm English history and you are mathematics and science, but you look like an English teacher, <laughs> but you are, you're not an English teacher. Um, so the reason I bring this up is obviously each subject has, you know, their, their field and, I just want to bring this up because when I was in university with you, what I heard all the time, and I want to return to it to see if it's actually truth or not, is if you're a science or a mathematics teacher, you will get a job instantly. And if you're humanities, if you're a history or an English teacher, which there's a lot of us, by the way, then you will struggle to get a job. So I guess like, on reflection, and I'd love to hear your opinion, I was lucky enough, as soon as I got out of university, I taught at the school I did pra- uh, practical experience uh, for three years. I was actually lucky enough to actually get that position. So I personally am starting to question that because I feel like you can get employment even if you don't work in, in the science or mathematics field. But I guess I just want to throw it to you. Is it actually easier to become permanent teacher uh, or a teacher on a permanent contract if you walk down the mathematics and scientific field? I would say it's a question of probability, like maybe the probability is a little greater. Um, But, you know, talking about a subject um, often, you know, on paper uh, forgets the way that, you know, if you interview really, really well and you um, are just like socially so present and you are uh, just an expert and you're a wonderful team player um, and a great listener, then, you know, you're going to perform really, really well as a teacher, regardless of your subject. Um, So expertise is always going to be, uh, it's not always the same as experience, you know, sometimes you can be really good for your age. And, um, you know, so in that way, sometimes people get a a permanent job fresh out of the gates. partly uh, because of how, how well they interview and how hard they work and is, you know, really clear, clear and easy to see uh, for an employer. Um, there's also the fact that sometimes it's a bit of luck. Like uh, the reason I got the, the job that I'm in is because at the end of my first year of university, um, my mum and I were looking online for scholarships because, you know, if you can get a scholarship, um, it, you should go for it. Um, and managed to get this one from actually from the department, not from the university. 
and it was this scheme because there was a shortage of maths and science teachers. Um, in fact, there was a shortage of all teachers. And at that point in time, they were offering these scholarships uh, where you actually, it's based on aptitude. It's based on your, your attitude and your, your um, passion for teaching. And so the interview that I did um, when I was, what would have been nine? No, 20, 20 years old, um, was based, all the questions were based on how passionate are you? about the profession because it was like a trust system. Um, so the, in New South Wales, it's, it's kind of, um, I think during the application process, um, I think the, they, they advised me that there would be a greater likelihood that I would be successful in receiving the scholarship. Uh, just in terms of numbers of applicants, um, it would be more. I would be more successful if I was listed as a maths teacher than as a science teacher. So that because I was going to go for both maths and science qualifications with my degree, uh, they said, "Look, choose maths." But having said that, um, <clears throat> uh, partly I got a job because my uh, head, the head teacher during my prac, where I was doing science teaching um, and physics teaching, she. Uh, called me one day at the end of my fifth year and said, look, Jacob, um, there's a vacancy because uh, it was actually the supervisor that, that I had during that prac. He got a job in another school and he had to leave. So there was a permanent position open, but um, they weren't advertising it as permanent. They were advertising it as a temporary contract. So it was only one year, right? Um, and I had already signed up this, like this deed of agreement with the scholarship. So um, I was like, that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, but I'm not sure what the scholarship committee is going to say. Um, so anyway, she said, don't worry about that. Um, we'll just ask the principal to call the department. And so they did. And then the department called me and said, look, they've changed the temporary position to a permanent one because there's a need for a physics teacher and you're physics trained, even though you're listed in your scholarship as maths. So it's basically um, where there's a need, the, the department being a, a government run sort of thing, they are trying to fill the positions if possible. Um, so uh, that's kind of like a very specific example, but I think it kind of shows like the way that, um, you know, maybe doing a certain subject can increase your likelihood of getting a job. But once again, like if, if you are not an expert in that or you, you don't show passion, or you don't show um, enthusiasm for it, then you are going to be at the bottom of that list of maths applicants instead of the top of that list of maths applicants. So you probably won't be as lucky or you won't be um, as highly valued if you don't pick a subject that you'd like. Whereas if you, if you pick like say English, which, you know, there's a lot more English teachers, but you're like killing it and you're just like smashing everything and you're so enthusiastic, you'll probably be at the top. So yeah, it's really about what you're passionate about. And I see this similar to picking subjects for the HSEU, which is yes, for, you know, mathematics and extension Latin, if that's even a subject, probably scale better, but how many people yeah. are actually going to pick it just because it scales better? I think there's a level of ability, uh, how much you know about the subject. I, you know, there are other things apart from, you know, this subject is automatically better. And as you said, maybe mathematics and science yeah. are better in, in terms of getting a job. But I think, you know, even if that's true, I would by no means or no desire want to switch from English history 
to that, even knowing that's true. Um, and just one more thing, uh, I just want to tell the audience, uh, just in case they don't know, when you go into university, and I'm not sure if every university does this, but I'm pretty sure most, or not like 99% too, mm. you have to pick a major and a minor. So that means you will be qualified to teach two subjects at the end of the degree. Yeah, and there are there are actually some exceptions to that. Um, so uh, I had the option of being double maths. They call it double method. So um, I could have done, and th- what makes that is during the second, third, and fourth years of your double undergraduate at Sydney University, you do some subjects. Well, they might have changed the the timing, but you do three subjects per teaching method. So if you were doing double maths, you would have six math teaching subjects um two at a time uh and and that would make you a double method whereas uh, what stanley did and what i did was you know i i did um the science teaching subject which is different to a teaching subject and different to a science subject um it's a science teaching subject so that all, all the people in that subject are going to be science teachers and you do three of those and then you do three math teaching subjects where all the teachers are going to be three of those and there was actually they put us in, uh, so that means that there, there are some of my um, friends from uni, like, uh, you know, um, Nicole, for example, um, they got extra um, extra time and practice during university because they did three extra subjects to focus on the teaching of maths and the pedagogies that they use. Is that is that a good decision? So I obviously didn't walk down this path, so I can only speculate. And uh, so two questions. Firstly, is it only the University of Sydney that offer this uh, or do other universities offer this as well? And secondly, is this a good option? Because, you know, maybe yeah. in my opinion, I love English and history, so I definitely wouldn't do that. But like, to me, I just feel like that limits your ability to get a job. Now, maybe I'm incorrect, but like the fact that I can apply for English and history jobs, I feel like open up, opens up my field. So why would someone pick a double mathematics or a double history or double English course? That's an excellent question because I think um, maths is quite unique in the sense that there's an extreme shortage um, across so many schools uh, for maths teachers. Like there's also a shortage for physics teachers especially, but there are less schools out of New South Wales, there are less schools that need a physics teacher than the schools that need a maths teacher generally. Um, just because less students choose physics and some schools don't actually run a physics program. Um, and, and that means that perhaps you might actually be better going with maths, um, even though this, the shortage of physics teachers is actually stronger because um, it, it depends maybe where you want to live. So, yeah, I mentioned it's sort of like probability based. It's also location based. Um, and so, uh, but with maths, if you, if you specialize, then what I was saying just a moment ago about being at the top of your cohort of maths teachers um or you know when i say top i mean like you know showing expertise showing passion showing um that you you tried really hard during university and you're willing to keep to keep trying um is is probably going to influence the way that you get a job i think mathematics is also strange in the sense that it's a subject where um extended how do i say uh extended skills of abstract thinking are necessary for it to survive um and, and necessary for for maths teachers to be so like what distinguishes a maths teacher from a physics teacher is that um that the maths that 
they do in, is in order to teach say extension two, you, you, you must do extra practice. It's like swimming versus running. I use my legs all the time to get, uh, you know, from place to place, you know, to walk to the train station. So to, to run, I don't need to do as many uh, hours of practice per week as I do for swimming because I don't swim to get from my bedroom to my living room. I walk, right? So swimmers do more hours per week of training than runners just because of, yeah, you, you don't practice unless you're in that context. And that's the difference between maths and English, right? I'm using the English language right now, but I'm not talking to you in mathematics right now. You know, I'm not speaking equations to you. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you do very specialized practice. Mm -hmm. It's still extremely useful and we can't really live our lives. I mean, I couldn't speak to you on a computer without mathematics because, you know, the computer, the, de the design of the manufacturer is all mathematical, right? That, by the way, is a uh, great example of teaching because you basically made your point and then you brought a relevant example, which I can understand and I'm sure the audience can understand. And you use that as a launch point for yeah. your statement or really the argument that you're making. So that's like, by the way, that is like teaching pedagogy 101. So thank you, Jacob, for demonstrating this to the audience. And also this is probably an obvious point and anyone who's gone through the teaching degree will immediately, I, I feel like would immediately agree with this. Uh, but for anyone choosing teaching, I think a lot of professions, but in my mind, maybe because I'm used to it, teaching is one which really exemplifies this. There is a difference between what you learn in university and what you learn in the classroom. And once again, I feel like you could say this for a lot of courses, but uh, I can share experiences where you almost like pretend to teach in university, right? You make lessons or you structure assessments and you give it out to, you know, like 22 year olds, 23 year olds, and you get them to, you know, work and you know, pay attention during the class. And you use that as a simulation for what happens when you actually get in the classroom. Now that's not bad. I have no issues with that, but just be prepared on your first or second or third prac or, you know, the first or second time you visit a school and you actually have to teach things will get messy and that's part of the experience and you know I, I can think of times when um i've had students and no joke just like open a pencil case and throw it across the the classroom and everything goes everywhere you know like pens go everywhere um you know rubbers go everywhere and all that stuff and it immediately as we're talking about problem solving forces you to confront a situation that you did not learn in the classroom but i think as you get better at your craft and that might take two three, four, five, six, seven, ten 10 years, those experiences will become less jarring and you'll be able to, I guess, adapt better. Mm. I think the way I would compare university um, learning about teaching to the actual profession uh, and learning in the first, you know, three to four years, as you, you and I have just, you know, sort of reached about the four-year mark almost, um, is imagine if you can imagine a swimming lesson um you know some swimming lessons the coach stands outside the pool sometimes the the the, the teacher will be actually in the water with the children who are learning how to swim um and you know it gets quite cold if you're standing still in the water for that long but um if you've ever seen the swimming lessons you know for, for the for the young ones you really need someone in the water with you like uh teaching you while supporting you um and so and but as you get more advanced it's okay to you know just have a short lecture from the or a short demonstration from the coach at the start while all of the students are standing on the side of the pool and then say okay lecture's finished now um go in and and do the practice which i've set 
Um, so, and what I think about uh, the university programs that are set for teaching these days is that they've, firstly, they've lengthened them over the last sort of 30 to 40 years. Like you used to just be able to do a diploma of education. And now they're saying, actually, no, you, you need a full on either double bachelor's or a bachelor's and master's degree to be a high school teacher. Um, so they've lengthened that lecture at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, but not really given very many resources to support the first year teachers and the second year teachers and the third year teachers in the actual school. Um, and I think that is kind of a little bit backwards. And I think also the lengthening of the degree, they've kind of put a bit of, um, like we really did not need to know about developmental education in <laughs> the subject where I met you, but we would have really benefited from learning about mm. different and sometimes opposing and sometimes aligning theories of classroom management um, and behavior management. So mm-hmm. sometimes I, totally I think I would be able to, uh, com- you know, compose a slightly better program of courses or suite of courses for the what goes into a degree for education. You know, um, so, you know, and, and the degree is kind of like the lecture before the students actually dive into the water. Um, so, you know, lengthening that lecture without actually providing any extra support. Like if the coach, if the coach doesn't get in the water with the students uh, for a swimming lesson, that only, that only works if the students are already advanced. But um, for young swimmers who, who are just learning how to swim, you know, the coach is always getting in the water with the students and showing them, demonstrating things like in a very active way. And I think that what I would like to see more of, you know, this is probably a bit political, but um, is, is just more support provided to first and second and third year teachers in the actual school, like blending, blending the degree and, mm. the, and the internship and the real work practice. Like, you know, there should be an allocation given for head teachers when there's a, a, a new junior teacher, because the best person to ask advice is always your head teacher, right? They're, always, they're there, they're present, they're an expert, mm-hmm. they're hardworking, they're caring for all the, all the junior teachers. But sometimes they don't have enough time and resources to give adequate care to the junior teachers. And I reckon, like, if you shorten the, the university degree by a year and you just give all that extra funding that would have been paid um, just to the, to the head teachers to get just like a two, maybe a two or three period allocation. I know that that would be more expensive, but my God, would the teaching improve? Like the, the teaching profession would just go so much better and we'd capture and retain all those wonderfully skilled junior teachers who would have become absolute experts in their field 20 years later but who quit because they were feeling unsupported. And actually, you, I, I, I remember there was a very specific example that you, Stanley, your first prac, you hated it. You hated it because the school environment was extremely, uh, that particular, I won't name the school, you know, I won't name that school, but, you know, that, that staff environment was very unsupportive, very cold, very cold and very toxic um, mm. staff environment. Mm. And so a young, if you were to have gone into that school uh, when you graduated, you would have hated it and you would not be a teacher today. You know, two years ago, you would have quit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, highly likely. And you brought up a great point, which is our profession, the teaching profession, seems to have a lot of people who leave quite early. And that's a real shame. And I think part of it is just the lack of support. Um, And 
I think this is where we inevitably, and I think it's important to talk about it because we're both mm. big advocates. We both love teaching, but it's also important just for anyone listening to know some potential downsides. So I guess I want to throw this to you. What are some negatives of the profession or some negatives which permeate the profession? And for me, I think one of them that you mentioned is that there isn't too much support. And I know some other teachers who uh, maybe have worked a little less than me and they just find that because of the school system or just the structure of the the faculty or the staff room that they don't get that much support. And I, you know, I've experienced that myself and, and I've seen that. And I think it's a real shame. I always feel like there's a sink and swim element to it, mm. which there really doesn't need to be. But uh, that I think that's one genuine criticism of our profession. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what, what I would say is that the advice that I would give is um, you, you kind of, at the moment in 2021 in New South Wales, you have to be comfortable with being, uh, you have to be comfortable with irresolution. Because um, basically what you do over the first few years, the first maybe five or six years of teaching is that you want to learn all the skills you need um, and you want to learn them as quickly as you can. So you probably set a few goals for yourself. Maybe they're formal, maybe they're casual goals, but you've got some personal goals and one by one, you want to tick them off, right? Like for me, first year, I wanted to learn classroom management. Then second year, I wanted to learn how to teach physics. You know, the third year I started year advising. So I wanted to learn that um, and how to like, you know, be a good uh, supporter of the students. And, um, you know, so as you go through, you have to be comfortable with doing things imperfectly and you have to be comfortable with imperfect practice, because if you can't do that, um, a lot of the times you'll have to move on to the next skill, even after having only learned 80% or even 60% of that first skill that you tried. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're uncomfortable with doing that, then unfortunately, the truth is, uh, certainly at this time and in this place, there's not enough resources, there's not enough time, uh, and you won't have enough energy, even if you have enough time, for you to actually learn each skill perfectly, because it's just not possible. Um, and that's mm. that's really what I think I'm trying to say when you, you have to be a jack of all trades. You have to be comfortable with being imperfect, but even despite that imperfection and the fact that you can feel your own imperfection, still charging on, still keep keep applying effort and keep practicing because um, you're going to be imperfect for a long time, you know? Um, and in fact, you might spend your entire career being imperfect. And the truth is not all of it's your fault. Um, in fact, quite a large portion of it is not your fault because you know that you're being paid and you know that your school is being paid by government funds. And, I, you know, obviously, um, I can't really go too further, too much further without being a bit political there. Um, I might have accidentally revealed who I vote for. But you know, <laughs> the, be the best thing you can, you can really do as a teacher is, um, and I think maths really trained me for that, uh, doing my maths degree, I, I was constantly scraping passes like in my education subjects i was getting hds but in my math subjects i was getting i think i only got one credit all the rest were passes and one math subject was a fail mm. um and those are just the pure the pure maths um but all well, my I no education so i'm not even a writer like I'm, I'm horrible at writing um but all the essays and reports that we did for the education subjects which are uh, of that writing style i still managed to get 
is so much higher than my maths, you know, even though maths is my specialty. Um, mm. And even in physics, I, I, I was really scared of doing third year level physics units because it was just so hard. So, um, so basically I did five years of a degree and some of the, some of those third year math subjects were actually in my fifth year, right? So I did maths for five years at university while knowing and fully acknowledging that I am extremely imperfect, but still kept working. And I actually kept improving slightly. I was getting 50 and 51 in my first year. Then I was getting like 56 and 57 in my second year um, percent. On, on the whole subjects, this is, um, and then getting like low 60s, almost a credit in, in my third year math subjects, right? So even though it sounds like a small improvement, mm -hmm. it, it was a huge challenge. And so I spent a lot of time training mm -hmm. while feeling rather imperfect. And I think that's what made it, um, mm -hmm. that's how I know that I'll be able to persist with the profession because nothing can really be thrown at me that, you know, that I'm going to beat myself up about because I know that it's just a challenge. It's just really hard. And, you know, I'm still doing quite well to respond to it. E even though I might uh, judge myself as only like 60% uh, proficient classroom manager, um, I still feel like given the challenges that are there, I have to juggle that with all the rest of the skills. And I'm still doing quite well, you know, and you've got to give yourself that um, mm. to get through. Mm. Um, I'm going to repeat a quote which one of our or one of my university tutors said, and I want to see how much you agree or disagree with this. And at the end of our degree, um, one of our tutors said, "The best part of teaching mm. is the students, and the worst part of teaching is, or the, rather, the most difficult part of teaching is probably the parents and potentially." the faculty or other teachers do you um, agree with that do you i, I disagree think i'd with probably that? disagree actually yeah um i think i think the most difficult part is just yeah what i was mentioning just a moment ago that you're never really going to be perfect and, and that's hard you know particularly considering that uh a lot of society or your, you know your expectations coming in you have these dreams about becoming an expert at something um you know or being good at something and um so I'd say that's probably the hardest part. And parents, look, if, if you view the parent-teacher relationship properly, you should view it as a teamwork relationship. Now, there's sometimes good teamwork and sometimes bad teamwork, but and I haven't really taught at you know, any other schools than a comprehensive, extremely multicultural boys' high school, right? So maybe I'm biased in this way, but the parents are often extremely, really uh, cooperative. Um, and if they're incooperative or uncooperative, un un it's usually because they're under a lot of stress. You know, maybe they're working three jobs between the two parents, you know, or they've got a large number of children, a single mother or something. Those are the times when I've found, found that um, the parents are hard to work with, but it's not because of their personality, it's because of their circumstances. And it's, it's um, really sad that our society doesn't actually give enough resources to help people like that. Um, so in my experiences, my experiences with parents, like, uh, in my first year, I was really nervous and I was worried about being judged about, you know, whether I was doing a good enough job. And then after I started year of year advising in my third year, I started making so many more phone calls to parents and the vast majority of parents, they just want your teamwork. And if you can give them that, 
even if it's imperfect teamwork, they, if you give them regular contact and you're a team player and you work with them, not against them, then you're doing a perfect job with working with the parents. So actually, mm -hmm. I find that the parents are an asset. They're, they're a helpful uh, thing um, if you are viewing them in the right way. So, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah I agree with that. And I think the parents can definitely become an asset. Uh, and there's, you know, actually maybe in the future we'll have a another discussion of like, you know, some, some useful tips because I'm sure that you and I have accumulated yeah. quite a lot just from a few years of teaching. But a tip that, that I've accumulated and I find quite helpful is at the end of the week, I'll try to pick up a student who has been really, has been working yeah. really well and I'll just call their parents and let them know. And like that means so much because a lot of times, parents only get contacted when their student when the child sorry messes up and i think that's Definitely. such a shame such a disservice so um yeah i i think uh, parents can definitely become assets if used right so last thing i want to say mm -hmm. uh, i want to you know throw out there is we are both people who you know really enjoy really love this profession and find it extremely rewarding and because of that um, and I said this at the beginning, that's why I got you on, you know, juxtaposed to another teacher who just doesn't like the profession as much, because hopefully we can get as many good people, as many passionate people into this profession as possible. So I guess I will let you have the last word and just ask you, what is your final pitch for this profession? Why should people get into it? What should they expect? And should they still dive headfirst into it? Oh, it's, it's got enough variety that you'll never be bored. Um, it gives you opportunities to be creative, which actually enhances the quality of your work and also makes it more, more enjoyable. Um, and the mentorship aspect means that you'll never really be doing something wrong because even your mistakes are something to help you learn. Um, so there's... There's three things that are always going to be present in teaching uh, at any school that mean that the job is always worthwhile. And um, also, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a job that's family friendly. Um, you're not going to be you know, working, uh, you know, you're not going to have to go on overseas trips for work um, and break up the, the connection with your family. You know, if, if you need to be going to and from school uh, Monday to Friday from nine until you know, three or 4 p.m., then, you know, you can pick up your children and, and establish good you know, relationship with your children as, as a mother or as a father. Um, so I think it's balanced. I think it's um, got plenty of I intrigue and fascination because you can invent your own interest. You know, if you're getting bored one year, um, you know, if you've been doing it for 20 years, all you have to do is just try something different. Um, within the same job, like invent a new assessment that's going to be different or try a new program or try different, uh, you know, try being a year advisor or, or go for something, um, become the leader of the SRC. So there's always variety um, and you'll never be bored. And yeah, it's, I think, I think that it's, uh, it's tough at times, but it's, it's still worth doing. You know, if, if it were, if it were easy, I think that would actually diminish the value. Of, of what you do um, so I think I think it's definitely worth doing and even tell you what it's worth doing imperfectly um, it's like it's like being vegetarian you know 
the impact that a lot of people are vegetarian for like environmental reasons, right? Um, and a lot of people like that, they, they have this slogan that is, um, we don't need lots of people, we don't need a few people doing it perfectly. We want lots of people doing it imperfectly, but trying really hard. Yeah, and I think I think that's um, mm. yeah, I think I think that's the the main three reasons to do teaching. That's a that's a great example, and that's a great uh, place to leave it. I just realized, by the way, we basically did a one hour pitch of the teaching profession, and none of us mentioned holidays. Somehow, mm. I don't know how that slipped our minds, but yeah, but uh, yeah, holidays is definitely another positives. But uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's other things in this profession which validate it, regardless of holidays. I tell you what, if if anyone is uh, trying to have a go at you saying, "Oh, you're just doing teaching for the holidays," look, you know, if it weren't for those holidays, I would not be creative. I would not invent <laughs> things properly. I would be a horrible teacher, and not only that, I'd be a really cranky, angry teacher. And you always remember the the teachers you, that you hated during high school were the angry ones. So, mm, for sure, for sure. So uh, thanks, Jacob. That honestly has uh, been super enjoyable and hopefully super helpful to the audience listening there. Uh, fundamentally, we both love this subject and we, sorry, this profession. And we really hope that if you are considering becoming a teacher and you do have the passion uh, for mentorship, that's a word that's been mentioned a few times, or just the subjects, you really look into this. And I think every profession has its negatives and, you know, by no stretch of the imagination is teaching a perfect profession, but it is super important. And I know Jacob feels the same way about that. So thank you, Stanley. Okay. Thank you so much, Jacob. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast, everyone. Catch you later. Thank you for tuning into Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and other places that can be found in the description.